eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time. It's time. Time to get in the zone. Time to get in the zone. With the 49ers web zone. This is the No Huddle Podcast with Al and Brian. What's up, Faithful? You're listening to another episode of the 49ers web zone. No Huddle Podcast, a part of the Odyssey Network. I am Brian Rennick, and my compadre, Al Sacco, had his flu game on Monday, and then as the week has progressed, that flu has taken him down. So he is on the IR for this episode. It will just be me, myself, and I as we take a look at the upcoming game against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, But first, since we last spoke, I guess, I didn't really talk to you. You listened. We... Al talked, you listened, right? But since the last episode, the 49ers are the first team in the NFL to clinch a postseason berth with the Packers loss to uh, Tommy DeVito and the New York Giants uh, Monday night. And so as it currently stands, we are in uh, week 15 of the NFL season, and there is only one playoff team, one team that is postseason bound, and that is your San Francisco 49ers. Congratulations to Kyle Shanahan and the team. They have made it back to the postseason. I don't know that it was much of a a doubt, especially at 10 and 3, but hey, it's nice to know that uh, that it is clinched and they are uh they have a a, a ticket to the dance. And not only that, but uh, I am recording this on Thursday, December 14th, so I would like to wish a very happy birthday to the man that steers that ship, Kyle Shanahan. Uh, Kyle Shanahan turned 44 today, uh, which is uh, means that he was born the same year that this 49ers franchise hired Bill Walsh. So, hey, 
full circle moment, right? And we talked about it last episode, how, you know, there have really been, you could argue since Bill Walsh, four uh, or five uh, coaches that have been great coaches for this organization. And that's Bill Walsh, George Seifert, Steve Mariucci, Jim Harbaugh, and now Kyle Shanahan. And of those coaches, only Jim Harbaugh is not directly tied to, to Bill Walsh. So again, a very cool lineage of, of head coaches in the San Francisco 49ers organization. And then uh, just a couple news and notes. Uh, Thursday practice did not participate list is pretty long. Um, and that can be a little bit, I guess, disconcerting, uh, especially when you consider that it really feels like this team, this 49ers team, the only thing that can stop them right now is injuries. And they did come out of that Seahawks game uh, with a few uh, with a few injuries. They went into that game missing Eric Armstead. Uh, Eric Armstead, again, did not practice. Uh, it is likely that he will not play against the Cardinals. Uh, Aaron Banks did not participate today in practice. He has a hip issue. Oren Burks has a knee issue. Ross Dwelly has that, that knee issue as well that is keeping him out for a handful of weeks. Uh, Drake Greenlaw didn't participate in practice, though Steve Wilkes expects him to play on Sunday, but he's dealing with hip and ankle issues. Uh, Javon Hargrave has a hamstring issue. Uh, again, after the game, weren't sure if if Hargrave and then uh, Charvarius Ward, who also didn't participate with the groin issue, uh, weren't sure what their availability would be for Sunday. And we really still don't. Uh, did not participate on Thursday. It's not a great sign. Uh, and if Armstead, Greenlaw, Hargrave, Ward, if if they can't go, that's uh that's five starters that that this that this defense could be missing. So again, something to keep an eye on, but obviously we won't know until game time. And then the other big news uh since we last recorded, uh a familiar face has returned to the 49ers, and that is one Jason Verrett, who officially signed to the 49ers practice squad earlier this week. Uh, he was uh, welcomed with open arms. Uh, it's an exciting time. That's a guy that you love to root for uh, every every time that he has gone down with an injury with this 49ers squad. It has really hurt my heart because this is a guy who is incredibly talented, who if it weren't for injuries, would probably be considered one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL uh, during his his playing days. Uh, you know, he started with the Chargers and was just incredible. And then it's just been injury after injury after injury, uh, knee ligament tears, Achilles tendon ruptures, all of those things. But he has once again attacked his rehab with vigor and he is back. With the 49ers, he'll be sporting that uh, that number 22 again. Uh, when he was last with the 49ers as a starter, he was wearing number two. Uh, that belongs now to Demo, Demo Lenore, uh, and obviously he's not going to take that. So he's got that number 22 back. And uh, I thought what was cool, one of the things that's cool, David Lombardi, who covers the 49ers for The Athletic, he posted a photo of a screen somewhere in the 49ers facility and he said that there are screens all over and it's just a big picture that says welcome home jv so again it's a it's it's a mutual 
uh, I guess, love affair, if you will, between Jason Verrett and these 49ers, uh, a mutual respect for both the player and the organization. And again, Verrett is a is a Bay Area guy. And so uh, it's nice, again, to have him back. And then uh, he was also seen running drills with some of the starters in the uh, in the secondary. So it does seem like. While I don't anticipate Verrett being a impact player in, in the slightest for this team, it does seem like this is more than just an insurance move. I have a feeling that he is going to see some elevations down the stretch from the practice squad uh, to, to elevated status on game days. And uh, I think he's going to be a part of the team, and it'll be interesting to see you know, if, if there are any injuries or, or what have you, if, if Rhett ends up being uh, kind of a mainstay on this team as they, as they close down the stretch and, and into the playoffs. And uh, one more little item. Uh, I just really liked this and I, I wanted to highlight it because I thought it was important. You know, I've talked about how locked in it feels like this team is and how last week's Seahawks game could have felt a bit like a trap game. And, you know, I'm going to talk about that with this Cardinals game as well. But I also said that I don't know that this team is susceptible to trap games, especially after what happened uh, against the Browns after that big win uh, against the Cowboys in week five. You know, there was that letdown against the Browns, which, you know, was to be expected. But at the same time, that Browns defense, especially at the time, was playing historically well. Uh, they were on the road. It was raining. Trent Williams gets injured. He ends up coming back in, but uh, not at 100%. Debo is gone after the first series. And, you know, we know how that game ended. And that was the first of a three-game losing streak. But I don't know. I don't know that this team is susceptible to trap games because they just feel so locked in. And one of the things that I read, I believe it was yesterday, Again, David Labardi of The Athletic tweeted this out. But uh, D'Amador Lenore called Kyle Shanahan Sunday night to apologize for getting ejected in that Seahawks game. If you guys remember, Fred Warner had the interception. Uh, he ends up lateraling. Uh, and then uh, DK Metcalf basically suplexes Fred Warner. Warner gets up, starts to run downfield because he had already lateral to a teammate, uh, which got called back because it was a forward lateral to Dre Greenlaw. But regardless, but he kind of runs through uh, DK Metcalf, who was on the ground. Metcalf gets up. They start John and then the Amador Lenore comes in and Lenore and Metcalf ended up being the two that were ejected. So Lenore called Shanahan on Sunday night and apologized for getting ejected. Uh, which I think is incredible. Uh, but he was asked about it, and he said, I just seen Metcalf going after Fred, so I just wanted to help my teammate. It started with linebackers coach Johnny Holland. I got your back. I got my brother's back all the time. And I, I think that's, again, one of the one of the hallmarks of, of a, a true Super Bowl contender is just a team that is locked in, a team that is hyper-focused, a team that understands what – the goal is understands what it takes to get there and understands that it is a whole team effort. And 
if you've got each other's back, you can make it through anything. And and I think that's, that's where this team is at right now. And so I just genuinely uh, appreciate reading little tidbits like that, because again, it's just a, a bit of an insight into where this team is. Uh, I would say psychologically. Um, and, and like I said, they're just, they're just locked in and, and it seems like week in and week out, they truly are a week to week team. They slaughtered the Eagles and they came and then they took business, took care of business against the Seahawks. Now they're coming to face a, a Cardinals team that let's face it at, at the beginning of the year, gave them a bit of a game, especially at the, in, in the first half with Josh jobs at quarterback. And now they're coming with, with Kyler Murray and they're coming off their bye. Uh, they are coming off a victory in their last game. They went into Pittsburgh and beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were and still are uh, in the sixth or the seventh seed in the AFC. So again, not a not a not a small feat. It's hard to beat that team at home. The 49ers did it in week one. The Cardinals did it back uh, in week 14 or sorry, week 13. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, but before we get to that Arizona Cardinals preview, I did want to talk a little bit more. We'll get back to our segment, Brock Talk. Uh, wanted to talk about Brock Purdy and just a little bit about this MVP discourse. Uh, I know that we've talked a lot about what Brock Purdy's season has looked like. We've talked a lot about Brock Purdy's play. And it's starting, it's starting to... I would say that the the MVP discourse is starting to get to a, an interesting level when it comes to to Brock Purdy because the reality of the situation is, and and we said this with with Peter King when we had Peter King on, but the MVP award, especially over the last decade, has really, arguably, turned into the quarterback on the best team award because. The MVP has gone to the quarterback of one of the one or two seeds 
in either conference the last 10 years. And if that is the criteria now, that's the, and, and that's, and that's really where the rubber meets the road. You know, I, I tweeted out something on Twitter and it, it, it got a lot of traction and and I'm going to talk about it here in a second, but you know, there's a lot of pushback right now on Brock Purdy and whether or not he should be even considered for the MVP award. And, and largely that pushback comes from the idea that he's not even the most valuable player on his team. Many people believe that that should go to Christian McCaffrey, or you could argue Trent Williams based on what this offense looked like when Williams was out. I understand that, but we've got to, we've got to traffic in reality, right? We have to traffic in what we know about the award. We've got to traffic in precedence and we can talk all you want about whether or not Christian McCaffrey is, is more valuable to this team than Brock Purdy. And I, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault you for believing that, for feeling that way. Christian McCaffrey has done a lot for this offense. The gravity that he, that he possesses on the football field does help this offense and has helped open up this offense. But it's a quarterback driven league. It just is. And this award is a, is essentially a quarterback award. And, and I honestly, if, if, if I had, you know, if I had a magic wand that I could wave and and change it, I, I would argue, Hey, you know what? The NFL should probably, maybe they should look at doing something like what college football does. Right. So instead of having an MVP award, let's have insert legendary quarterback name here award for the best quarterback in the league. And then you have legendary skill player position name insert here award for what amounts to the offensive player of the year, which is kind of, I guess where we're at now, right? The MVP tends to go to the quarterback and offensive player of the year tends to go to a skill position player. But I think it's that idea of MVP, right? And it's, it's in the name, most valuable player. And people have a hard time getting over that. Right. And it's that V in the, in the, in the tie, in the award, right. The, the valuable part. And, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting is if you want to talk about value, there's not a more valuable player in the league than Brock Purdy, who is producing at historic levels, who is leading the best offense in the NFL by a wide margin. And he's doing so in a contract that pays him less than a million dollars a year. There's literally nothing more valuable than that. I saw a, a tweet that, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like, if you want to talk about value, you know, Brock Purdy, or the 49ers are paying Brock Purdy something like $1,300 per completion. And the Dallas Cowboys are paying Dak Prescott something like akin to like $100,000 per per completion. Now, obviously, that's not how the award is judged, right? And and valuable doesn't necessarily just mean monetary value. But but again, you know, if you want to talk about value, the 49ers have the team that they have with, you know, all pro level players on so many different sides of the ball, right? You've got arguably 
the best tight end in football, the best overall tight end in football. You've got, you know, a, a you've got two, you could argue top 25 receivers. You've got the best running back in the NFL. You've got the best left tackle in the NFL. You've got the best edge defender, or at least one of the best edge defenders in the NFL. You've got one of the best pass rushing interior uh, defensive linemen in the NFL. You've got the best middle linebacker in the NFL, right? Like you can go on and on. And part of the reason why the 49ers can do that is because of what they're paying Brock Purdy to play quarterback. And, and that is largely part of the argument that people have when they try and discredit his MVP candidacy, right? They say things like, well, anybody can do what Brock Purdy's doing, which is a fallacy. Uh, but it's just, I think ultimately it just, it, the discourse is getting a little bit ridiculous because it feels like, it feels like there's a lot of mental gymnastics that are happening in order to discredit Brock Purdy. And, and, you know, the, the thing that, that I was able to kind of stumble upon uh, is, you know, based on, based on at least my interactions with people on Twitter and, and some of what is getting put out by, you know, analysts and, and talking heads and things like that. It does seem like there is a new criteria for the MVP award when it comes to quarterbacks. And, and that great criteria is one, you cannot have a good coach Two, you cannot have more than one weapon. Three, every pass must be a tight window throw. Four wide receivers must fall down immediately after catching a pass. Five, you can't have a good running back. Six, you can't have the lead in the beginning of the fourth quarter. Seven, you must be drafted prior to the seventh round. Eight, the defense, your defense must be subpar. Nine, if you're 6-1 or below, that's too short for the MVP. And 10, shout out to Colin Coward, you cannot wear your hat backwards during press conferences. Now, obviously, that is not the criteria, but it certainly feels like that is a lot of the argument against Brock Purdy. And, and, and specifically, it's this. There are too many weapons around Brock Purdy for Brock Purdy to be the MVP. And, you know, we, we've talked about it in previous episodes. It's just, if that is your argument, then you must go back and retroactively strip Peyton Manning, 2004 Peyton Manning, of his MVP because... 2004 Peyton Manning had Edron James, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, and Brandon Stokely. All four of those players had a thousand or more scrimmage yards that season. But the MVP went to Peyton Manning. You got to strip Kurt Warner of his MVPs because he had Marshall Falk and Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce. You've got to strip Troy Aikman of his MVPs because he had Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin and Alvin Harper and Jay Novacek. And you've got to strip Joe Montana of his MVPs because he had Jerry Rice and John Taylor and Roger Craig. And you've got to strip Steve Young of his 1994 NFL MVP because he had, again, Jerry Rice and again, John Taylor. But this time he had Ricky Waters and he had Brent Jones, right? Like, just because a quarterback has great weapons does not automatically discredit him from being an MVP. 
Because here's the thing, as good as your weapons are, you've got to get the ball to them. And not only do you have to get the ball to them, but for players like the, like Debo Samuel, like Brandon Ayuk, like George Kittle, like Christian McCaffrey, players who have elite ball skills, right? Who who can who can run after the catch, who can get you more yards. You've got to get them the ball in in a, with enough accuracy so that they're not breaking stride, that they're not having to jump to make the catch or reach behind them to make the catch, right? You're placing that ball directly in front of them, enabling them to continue and get those yards after the catch. That's a skill the quarterback needs. That has nothing to do with the skill position players. And do we discredit Patrick Mahomes because he has one of the best offensive play callers in NFL history and Andy Reid? No. Do we discredit Montana who had Walsh? No. You know, do we discredit John Elway who had Mike Shanahan? No. Right. You cannot discredit a player because he's in a good environment. You cannot discredit a quarterback because he has a good system, right? The quarterback's job is to operate that system and to do so at the best of his ability, but at the best of the system's ability as well. Jimmy Garoppolo did not operate this system at the best of the system's ability. Brian Hoyer did not. C.J. Beathard did not. Nick Mullins did not. Trey Lance did not. Brock Purdy has. And he's done it from the moment that he stepped on the field against the Dolphins. And here's the other thing. This is not a discourse about who is the best quarterback in the NFL. Right? Like the pushback I get on Twitter is like, well, would you rather have Patrick Mahomes or Brock Purdy? Well, I, I would rather have. Patrick Mahomes, right? Patrick Mahomes is a generational talent. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He already has two Super Bowl rings. He already has two MVP awards. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is a better quarterback right now than Brock Purdy. But that's not the discussion. The discussion is not, if we have a fantasy draft tomorrow, are you taking Brock Purdy over Patrick Mahomes? The question is, who has played the quarterback position, the best in 2023. And as it stands right now, there isn't anybody playing the position better than Brock Purdy. In fact, Brock Purdy is playing it at a historic level, right? I talked last episode after that Seahawks game, he is now tied with 1999 Kurt Warner, who by the way, won the MVP award that year at 9.9 yards per attempt. Now, yards per attempt isn't necessarily a a be-all, end-all stat, right? One of the the advanced stats they look at is uh, net yards per attempt or average net yards per attempt, which takes into account uh, sacks and interceptions and touchdowns. But even when you do that, Brock Purdy is... I believe two yards ahead of number two. So what he's doing is not fluky. What he's doing is not only because he's throwing the ball to Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle. And I think, I think largely 
what gets overlooked when we when we try and evaluate a quarterback's play, especially for for casual fans. And I, I'm not I'm not on here trying to say that, you know, I, I grind the tape and that I am, uh, you know, I, I know more than than most fans about football and scheme. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is there's nuance to playing the position. And there's more than just the physical wow factors when it comes to elite quarterback play. Because more than physical tools, the elite quarterbacks have a little bit more between the ears than than the average QB. And that's where, excuse me, that's where Brock Purdy really shines. Brock Purdy doesn't have, you know, he's not 6'5. He doesn't have a rocket arm. He's not, he doesn't run a 4'4, right? He's not, he's not Terminator back there. But what he does possess is elite processing skills and he has elite decision making. And those two things lead to an ability to find the open receiver in any progression and get the ball into his hands. Ben Solak, who caught the ire of of Al in our last episode, put out a video uh, today. He he does a, a, I guess, a a segment uh, each week on The Ringer called The Play Sheet, where he kind of analyzes defenses, offenses, whatever. And this was, was Brock Purdy. And, and one of the things that he, that he pointed to was uh, that Brock Purdy leads uh, the NFL in explosive play rate, but then he used a handful of plays to show why that can be a misleading stat. And one of the plays he showed was a a play against Seattle on Sunday where Brock Purdy drops back. And in the progression of the play, Debo Samuel is is the last, essentially the last read on the play, just like he was on that beautiful deep touchdown pass he had. Debo Samuel was the last read. Again, people argue Brock Purdy, you know, just just throws the ball where he's told. The reality is that's not the case at all. He he works through his progressions. He does so quickly. Again, part of part of what makes him elite. But Debo Samuel on this play. Is, is just sitting two yards beyond the line of scrimmage in kind of a, a, a check down, right, as, as the last resort in this play. And Brock Purdy goes through his progressions. Uh, his first two reads get taken away immediately. He then looks to George Kittle, who has some tight coverage on him. And so he immediately goes to Debo Samuel, who is open, two yards beyond the line of scrimmage, throws it to him, and then Debo Samuel ends up getting 30 more yards on the play. Now that that pass is a 32 yard pass in you know it, on the stat sheet and that counts as a 20 plus yard completion for Brock Purdy. Now, did he throw the ball 32 yards? No, he did not. He threw it 2 yards. But we cannot discount his ability to read the defense, his ability to see what the defense is giving him, and his, at this point, institutional knowledge of the offense to know where he needs to go 
when his first, second, and third reads aren't available. Jimmy Garoppolo played really well in the system. He was not progressing through reads like Brock Purdy does. That is what has elevated this offense. It's his ability to process, his decision-making, and his aggressiveness. He's going for deeper shots down the field than, than Jimmy Garoppolo really ever did. That is what has elevated this offense. Brock Purdy has elevated this offense because this offense has never been as productive under Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco as it has been this season. Again, to historic levels. And so, so we just have to accept at this point that the MVP award is a QB award. And it's an award that goes to the quarterback of either the one or two seed in the NFC or the AFC. As that's currently constituted with four games left to play, and that's part of the discourse is there's still four games left, right? But as it stands right now, those four quarterbacks are Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, um, Lamar Jackson, and I can't remember who the two seed is in the AFC right now. I believe, I believe it is still the Dolphins, even though they lost on Monday night. And so that would be Tua. And of those four, it is undeniable, undeniable that Brock Purdy has played the best out of those four. Now, the Dallas Cowboys have a brutal schedule to end the season. They're at Buffalo this week. They also have to go to Miami and they play the Lions at home. And I believe they have one game, I think, against the Commanders. If Dak Prescott goes into Buffalo, balls out and the Cowboys win, and he and, and he continues that against the Dolphins and the Lions and I believe the Commanders, then I would say that he's probably going to win the MVP. Unless Brock Purdy absolutely puts on a lights-out performance against the Ravens on Christmas. And then at that point, it, it might still be a toss-up. But the MVP award is a narrative award. And what better narrative than Mr. Irrelevant one year after being drafted last overall leading the best team in the NFL and winning an MVP? I don't know about you, but to me, that's a pretty awesome and marketable narrative so we'll see we'll see with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. First step, got to go out and take care of business against the Arizona Cardinals. So let's take a look at that game and preview what to expect from the 49ers and the Cardinals in this second meeting. Uh, if you remember, the 49ers played the Cardinals in week four. 
Uh, it was their game before the Cowboys. They played the Cardinals the week after the Cowboys lost to the Cardinals. And then they beat the Cardinals. And then the Cowboys came in and they curb stomped the, the Cowboys. It was it was a great time to be alive. I loved it. It was so much fun. Uh, but this Cardinals team is different. Um, I would argue that they they were better uh, at the beginning of the season with Josh Dobbs than they have been uh, since trading since trading Dobbs. Um, but Kyler Murray's back. And, you know, I said earlier that this game has set up to be a trap game, but I don't think that the 49ers are susceptible to trap games because I think they're too locked in. But the other thing I like about this game is, to me, it's a little bit of an appetizer for this defense uh, to go against Kyler Murray, who has some slipperiness in the pocket, who can get out and run, uh, in preparation to face Lamar Jackson on Christmas night. So that, to me, is probably the biggest... Uh, the biggest point that I'm going to be looking at uh, when, when the 49ers and Cardinals take the field on Sunday is what is their plan for Kyler Murray? Now I was super impressed with Steve Wilkes plan. And I would say Steve Wilkes and Chris Kosurik's plan for Jalen hurts when they played the Eagles. And we talked about it. You watched that game and you, you could look at it and go, man, like Jalen Hurts has all the time in the world. Like what, what is happening? But the reality is, is, is that was the plan. The plan was to maintain lane integrity so that there are no escape lanes for Jalen Hurts to get out and run and essentially force Jalen Hurts to, to play quarterback from the pocket. And it worked really, really well against Jalen Hurts. And I would argue that I think it can work really well against Kyler Murray as well. Um, like I said earlier, the Cardinals are coming off their bye. Uh, but the game that they had prior to the bye uh, in week 13, they, they traveled to Pittsburgh and they beat the Steelers 24 to 10. Um, Kenny Pickett was injured in that game and Mitch Trubisky came in and finished the game. Uh, but the Cardinals employed pretty much a, a ball control offense they had 38 rushing attempts to only 23 pass attempts. And Kyler Murray was 13 of 23 for 145 yards, one touchdown and no interceptions. Uh, and he had nine rushes, but for only 20 yards. And the game previous to that, the Cardinals were dominated at home by the L.A. Rams uh, by to the tune of 37 to 14. But the Rams jumped out to a 21 to 8 halftime lead. So the Cardinals were forced to throw the entire second half. And so Kyler Murray ended that game 27 of 45 for 256 yards, one touchdown and no interceptions, but he only had one carry and that was for two yards. And so what I'm wondering, cause I haven't, I haven't watched either one of those games, but I, I wonder if, if they are actually kind of trying to limit Kyler Murray's exposure, his injury exposure uh, after coming back from a pretty devastating knee injury and I wonder if if they are trying to limit his rushes, although, again, nine rushes for 20 yards against the uh, against the Steelers. Uh, don't know if, how many of those were design runs, how many of those were scrambles. Uh, I would venture to guess that a lot of those were scrambles just based on the kind of pressure that the Steelers can put on opposing quarterbacks. But I think the key to this game is is limiting Kyler Murray's 
rushing attempts and limit his scrambles. And if they can do that, like they did against Jalen Hurts, I don't really see where this, this Cardinals team can, can find enough points to, to beat a 49er squad that is coming in healthy on the offensive side of the ball. And I think Brock Purdy has another huge game. Uh, Matthew Stafford threw for, I think, almost 400 yards against the Cardinals. And I, I don't, I, there's a part of me that feels like Kyle Shanahan is starting to hear a little bit about this, this MVP discourse, a little bit about, you know, Brock Purdy is a yak merchant or Brock Purdy is just a game manager Although I loved Rob Gronkowski on uh, on Kay Adams' show today, uh, had a quote that said, "Brock Purdy is so good at managing the game that he has become a game changer." Which I salute to you, Rob Rob Gronkowski. I, I appreciate that. And there are plenty of plenty of former players who who believe that as well, which I which I appreciate. Um, but I, I kind of wonder if Kyle Shanahan. You know, especially again in a game like this where it, it's quite obvious that you are wildly more talented than the team you're playing, and the team you're playing is 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 pretty susceptible to uh, getting beat through the air. You know, this game plan might might feature Brock Purdy a little bit more than than other game plans have. Um, I still don't anticipate him throwing more than twenty five to twenty seven times. That's kind of the sweet spot for this team and, and Christian McCaffrey is, is going to get his, but this, this 49ers offense is just going to be too much for the Cardinals to overcome. Even if the 49ers are missing up to five starters on defense, I just, I don't think that there's anything that this Cardinals offense is going to be able to do to, to at the very least keep pace with this high powered 49ers offense. And so uh, again, I don't, I'm not afraid of this being a trap game. It may look weird early. Uh, you never know. Uh, again, they're going to have to get used to playing with some, uh, you know, some, some players that, that aren't normally out there, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but this team is, this team is, is so focused. This team is so ready, uh, to, to prove to the world that there isn't a team that can even sniff them and, and as it stands right now, there's not. And what I appreciate is, you know, the the four the the four teams with the best record in the NFL right now are the San Francisco 49ers, the Dallas Cowboys, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Baltimore Ravens. All those teams are 10 and 3. The 49ers have beaten two of them by a combined score of 84 to 29. And they play the third one on Christmas night. If they can beat all three of those teams as convincingly as they have, there's just, there's, there's no, there's no argument anymore that the 49ers are in a tier of their own. It's the 49ers and then everybody else. So prediction Again, I, I do predict the 49ers will pull out a victory. I do think that they'll score over 30. And so I'm going to say that the final score of this game will be San Francisco 34, Arizona 17.
And I think Brock Purdy will come out of this game with at least two passing touchdowns. And I think he's going to tie. No, nay. Oh, yeah, tie Joe Montana's record of eight straight games with a completion percentage of 70% or above. And then he'll have an opportunity to, to, to break that tie, break that streak, own it on his own against what many believe is the best team in the AFC in the Baltimore Ravens on Christmas night. I am so excited for that game. We will preview that game uh, next week. I believe uh, we are working on getting Jason Lockenfora uh, as a guest next week. Uh, he is a, uh, a Baltimore insider. Uh, and so that'll be fun to talk to. And we will also be back to review this game against the Cardinals. Hopefully Al, We'll uh, be we'll be back. We'll be uh, free of the flu and uh, we will break that all down for you guys next time. But for the under the weather, Al Sacco, I am Brian Rennick. Again, this is the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle podcast, a part of the Odyssey Network. Thank you guys for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Later. Niners on three. One, two, three. Twenty four hundred sports is an Odyssey company.